Uh, the problem is we're almost a year on from that situation uh, and we've been promised the return of our of our freedoms on so many occasions the vaccine was going to be the silver bullet for example and yet we still don't have them and we still don't know whether we're going to get our freedoms fully back in June. It could even be extended uh, later on in the year. We may not get them back this year. We, we, we simply don't know. Um, and and that's, the, that, that's my problem at the moment. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to Andrew Allison, who's the head of campaigns at the Freedom Association. The Freedom Association is a non-partisan, centre-right, classically liberal campaign group. Uh, it says, we believe in the freedom of the individual in all aspects of life to as great an extent as possible. But yeah, Andrew, welcome to the show. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. It's early in the morning, man. <laughs> 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 so before we start i have to plug two things first of all my book is out now uh brexit the establishment civil war so if anyone enjoys this conversation and is interested in learning more about how i think social media is disrupting politics they can go and order that the link is in the description below and uh, i want to say thanks to our sponsor expressvpn the world's number one most trusted vpn you can get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries Keep your browsing private with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months right now by following the link in the description below. So that is all the, the important things out of the way. Uh, now we can just talk rubbish. So, <laughs> um, Andrew, uh, there's been a lot of talk this year about the the, the concept of, of what rights a government has the, well, the right to infringe upon and what freedoms we should we should. Uh, be able to maintain in all circumstances like do you do you think that we have inalienable rights like is there things that that we are like physically born with that we can't have taken away from us or is that sort of at the behest of society well if you go to some countries around the world nobody has any rights at all so i suppose the answer to that is no but we we live in a in a western liberal democracy a supposedly enlightened democracy and therefore, we 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 do we've had those rights for for many centuries. Uh, therefore, we would regard them as we're, we're, that we're born with those with those particular rights. Now, referring to the pandemic, when I was looking at scenes in particularly in Italy, in northern Italy last year, and looking what was happening, then I wasn't sure at all. If I was quite frightened that what was actually going to hit the UK at at some point. So, for the government to take some sort of action. Well, we supported it. Uh, the problem is we're almost a year on from that situation uh, and we've been promised the return of our, of our freedoms on so many occasions. The vaccine was going to be the silver bullet, for example, and yet we still don't have them. And we still don't know whether we're going to get our freedoms fully back in June. It could even be extended uh, later on in the year. We may not get them back this year. We, we, we simply don't know. Um, and and that's the that, that's my problem at the moment. Mm. I mean, I can already hear uh, the the response that I, I know a lot of people would give, and they'd say, you know, this is for our own good. It's for uh, it's because we need to protect the elderly, the vulnerable, the population. You know, people aren't smart enough to make their own decisions. Uh, I've I've heard a few people make make that comment, including James O'Brien, who I've become incredibly disappointed with. Um, of late. I mean, I was never his biggest fan, but he's, yeah, really decided that he is the, the arbiter of, of other people's lives. And I guess that's, that's, that's the real debate that, that, that we're having here in, in the country or in the world about this. And it's like about how much the government are allowed to control or have a say in what we do in our personal lives. And do, I assume you would believe they've taken a step too far? I think they've taken a hop, skip and a jump too far, to, <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we, we can see when we look at the, at the data from, from other countries, and, you know, Sweden didn't initially lock down at all. In fact, you know, schools continued, um, whereas our schools were disrupted really for the best part of six months um, 
in, in, in so many different ways. Um, some examples in the United States, you know, where California was and New York State was, uh, uh, both of them were very strict in their lockdowns. Other states were not strict by any means. In fact, allowed people a lot more freedom. And the, the death tolls are pretty much the same. So what, what, what does it say? You know, I, I always believe in the, in the good sense of people. And, you know, if, if, if people feel that they're, that they're vulnerable and that they, they could get seriously ill or possibly die from, from COVID, then they will take all the necessary precautions to protect themselves. There are very few really reckless people around. And, I'm not, and those reckless people would be reckless anyway. You can have a lockdown, yet there's still raves going on, illegal raves and things like that. So those people, irrespective of whether it's the law that you can't mix or whether it's a vice that you shouldn't mix and you should use your own judgment, those people will still do exactly the same. They won't change. Mm. I mean, it's... Uh... There's obviously always going to be people who are, are going to to break these kind of rules. And I guess, like for me, the comparison that I keep making is, so I was in I was in Austria for a couple of months there, hoping to work, and it didn't really work out. But um, at the top of the mountain, there's uh, where the like restauranty thing is, there's a whole bunch of benches. And they said that we weren't allowed to sit there when we went up the mountain. Um, so the first they like cordoned it off with tape. And then that didn't work because people ignored the tape. So they built these like 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 block things so people couldn't sit except one person, and there was like a like a wooden block, so there was a meter between each person. So people just moved over and sat somewhere else. And and I like I kept comparing it to to trying to like block a river by throwing stones into uh by throwing stones in. It's like you know you might block some of it, but people are just gonna find a way around it. Like the water's still gonna keep flowing. And, and it's very hard to like intervene in in human nature in that way, I think. I agree with you. And also people have to be persuaded that those particular laws and restrictions are worthwhile, are, are sensible. Now, I, I just don't see how people sitting apart on a bench is, is going to somehow create a huge spike in COVID cases because, because it's not. I mean, do you remember the case in, in I think it was in Derbyshire, where the, where the police there find uh, two friends who travelled to this particular beauty spot uh, in, in separate cars, had a cup of coffee in, in their hands, and they accused them of, of going for a picnic. Mm. Um, of course, those fines were rescinded because, because no one felt, it, felt they were justified. Uh, but, but the sillier the rules, I mean, the rule of six that we've got in the UK, or had in the UK, and I believe we're going to go back to it, it just is not based in any, it's not based in science. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a figure that's just been plucked out of, out of thin air. You know, a children's birthday party in a garden is illegal. You know, children running around, even though they're in the same bubble at, at school, because, you know, very young children. I mean, they tend to invite all their friends from the school class, don't they, to, along to their party. So they're all in the same bubble anyway. And yet it's illegal to have a children's birthday party in a garden in the fresh air. Uh, and all of these things are just simply not justified and people will ignore them and people do ignore them. Uh, it still happens now. Um, all right, it's still a little bit chilly at the moment. The weather's not exactly brilliant, but you know, given another month, it's gonna be a lot better. Um, and if these, some of these ridiculous rules are still in place, I can guarantee that, uh, that, that no one will pay any attention to them at all. I mean, I'm finding it very, very difficult to get like a grasp on what the, the the public opinion is on on all of this, because I mean, on one one second I see like say the 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 uh, the debate between Dan Hodges and Peter Hitchens, um, and I looked at like the the comments and responses to it, and all of it, like, and I mean every single one is people being like, Dan, you got schooled. Peter's a hero. Things like that. Like just um, loving Peter Hitchens, like for 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 many quite obvious reasons, and and a few that are maybe a little more subtle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I'll see polls of of people where, uh, from like say YouGov or whatever, or I think Servation did a few on on like vaccine passports for people like going into the supermarket, and they were saying like sixty percent of people were in favor of this, and I was like, hang on a second, like 
what is going on here? Like, where is like where is the public opinion on 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 these issues? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I don't seem to meet very many people who think that all of this is a wonderful idea. I meet plenty of people who are frightened, mm. and I guess that they would reply to pollsters uh, in, in that particular way. But I do wonder if some people say, oh, yes, we should keep these restrictions, and uh, I always obey the rules, because that's what they're supposed to say to the pollster, but actually don't really believe in them and don't really stick to the rules very much themselves. I think there's a lot of that. Well, there's obviously a lot of that going on, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and who do the pollsters speak to? I mean, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm an, an opinion pollster has never spoken to me. Right. I've never had a call. I've never had to, been asked to do an online survey, nothing. So who, who, who do they actually talk to? It makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, this is a point a friend of mine often makes when we're talking about opinion polls. Um, he's signed up for for YouGov for he likes to sort of keep an eye on what what's being asked essentially so he'll always send me screenshots uh, and he he always makes the point that like look who are the people who are sitting around at home wanting to do like political polling online for like a tiny bit of extra cash like a pound or something maybe not even um, and it's 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 people who are interested in this already. So I guess I guess like especially like online polls are becoming, I I would probably say less and less reliable. Um, I mean maybe some people would disagree. Um. <laughs> well, they, I think they probably are. Uh, and, and polling in general, you know, it, it's it's it hasn't really been going very well for them uh, in in the last few years. And um, and I, I, I know it's, it, it's, they try to turn it into a science um, by, by weighting samples and things like that. Uh, but, but, but they have had their problems, uh, without a doubt. Um, I mean, the, the one pollster that I, that I do trust uh, implicitly, and that's, and that's uh, Sir John Curtis. Uh, and I've got an instant, when he does that exit poll, you know, general elections and things like that, I've got an insight in how he does it. Um, and uh, he, he uses... Um, he uses one polling station in, in, in a friend's constituency, a friend who's the MP, um, and he's so accurate, isn't he? I mean, he, you know, he, he can seem to predict the general election down to about three or four seats. Mm. Um, so, you know, if John Curtis said something, I tend to believe him, but the rest I take with a pinch of salt, maybe. And, of course, it does all depend on the sample. I don't think you can really sort of say that it's a, it's a, a legitimate poll unless you, you, the samples are in the thousands. Not five or six hundred, and I think that's that's when there's some wild inaccuracies there. I mean, I guess it's probably it's 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 probably I don't know. It's maybe like easier than ever, but still very close to impossible to get like a really representative sample of of like the the, the opinions in the United Kingdom based on like a few hundred people. It's even based on like a few thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be got to be difficult, but. Like I, 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 I kind of mentioned the digital passports um, there, the vaccine passports. And it's something I've been like really wrestling with, like whether I think it's a bad idea or a really bad idea. I, I, I can't like, I, no, you're laughing, but like I, I can't envisage a scenario in which that is a good idea. Um, and uh, like, do, do, do you think that that's like a realistic possibility in the UK? It could well be. Uh, I mean, the government is saying that it's opposed to mandatory vaccination. But, you know, if you can't go to the pub or you can't go to a restaurant, you, you're restricted from going to certain places. If you don't have a vaccine, then, of course, well, it, it is effectively mandatory vaccination, isn't it? Um, and as far as going on holiday is concerned, well, you know, someone like me, that's now 50 years old, and just my 50th birthday last week, um, I'm likely to get vaccinated by the end of this month. Hooray. You know, that's great. Um, my wife is 42. Um, she's going to have to wait a little bit longer. Um, I have a four-year-old son and I have a 21-year-old stepson. Uh, they're not going to get vaccinated anytime soon. So it's all right for someone my age. I can just jump on a plane and go somewhere. Fantastic, I've got the vaccine. But uh, you, Josh, you're going to have to wait a bit longer, aren't you? And you may not be able to go jump on a plane. So it's, I mean, let's, let's, let's be perfectly honest. These lockdowns have affected the young and the old badly. The old have been locked away, feeling very lonely. The young have just had their education taken away, their university days taken away. They, they, they can't mix with their friends, and they're getting very anxious as, as well. I mean, I've been suffering from a bit of anxiety these past few months, and I was trying to work out what was causing it. 
And it's because I'm not in control of my life anymore. I can't decide what I want to do when I want to do it. And, and you know, I think it is really, really bad idea to, to effectively discriminate against younger people who have borne the brunt of this along with the elderly and say, so, well, you can't go on holiday or you can't go out, you can't do that. I mean, I think there'd be a, a huge backlash. Mm. Oh, I mean, we're going to pay, I'm going to pay for it, like me and my generation. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I mean, you know, people of my age, I'm going to pay this back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be like, I'll be retired in about 15 years or so. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, I'll be on, be on my meager pension by then. I'm not going to pay this back. Um, retiring it's, 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 in 15 it's, it's, it's years. Gonna, no, no, no. Well, 15 to 20. I don't know what I'll retire. <laughs> perfectly honest, I, I've, got, I've got a feeling, a because I enjoy work so much that I'll, I'll, I doubt I'll ever will properly retire. But even then, the government probably would have put the Retirement age of two about seventy back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so good, so, so goodness as well. But now my four-year-old son, he, he'll be paying it back. Yeah, I mean the it's like you mentioned something there that really like struck me. It's the the control aspect, and like this is something that I've really been been struggling with as well, like myself. And and sometimes when I say this, it sounds so like first-world problems. Um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I can't jet off to the Maldives or, uh, you know, th that's what it sounds like. But it's it's not just that. It's like I'm attempting to plan like the next six to six to nine months of my life. And it's really difficult when I don't know what's happening next week. Like, yeah. I, 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 I can't tell if I want to stay in Belfast or I want to move to a different city um, because I don't know what the prospects are going to be like next week, one month from now, two months from now. I don't want to like move to London, which was like my long-term plan yet because I don't want to pay London's rent for no, nothing being open. You know, the reason mm -hmm. that I would pay that rent is to, you know, have access to the city, um, which being closed, it, you know, wouldn't make much sense. Like a friend of mine's in the same situation, except he's already got the job and has been working remotely for like months. It's, it's, it's really the the inability to plan I think is having like a serious effect on mental health. Like there was a, there was a study done and it was in the Irish times um, from the Republic of Ireland where they were estimating something like, like two thirds of, of adults were like suffering mental health problems because of this. And like, that's a stunning amount of people. Why do you think that's been discounted as something that we should be concerned about I honestly don't know because it's obviously something that we should be concerned about. I mean, I, I mean, I give you an example. Uh, for the last ten years, I have never worked on a daily basis in an office with other people. I've been used to working from home. I've got my office here, um, a couple of miles away from from my home. Uh, my wife pops in for two half days a week. She does our admin for the association, uh, and that's basically the company that I get. So I, I'm perfectly used to. To, to, to working in a, in a sort of isolated way, you know. So when the lockdown first started, um, my life didn't really change very much, other than the fact that I couldn't go out and do what I wanted to do, of course. Um, but when the second lockdown started in November, that's when I started to feel a little bit anxious. Uh, now, bear in mind, I've been driving for the best part of 30 years, and I was driving along in the car, and there was a, there was a time when I thought, I don't think I feel safe here. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, and it's very hard to explain, very hard to explain. But I just didn't feel quite right. And um, I told my wife, and she said, I think you maybe you should see the doctor. And I did. And, and to cut a long story short, uh, the GP prescribed me what she what she said was just a mild antidepressant to try and take the edge off the anxiety. Um, and that's why I said earlier, I was trying to work out why I was anxious. It's anxious because I'm just not in control. And I think that's what people are thinking of. We know that meant them, there's, a, there's a huge mental health problem. Uh, my GP thinks I'll just bounce back straight away once we get our freedoms back. And I, I sincerely hope so. Um, and I probably will. But there are others who are, who are going to have real long-term problems. And yet the government just doesn't seem interested. I mean, I mean, it's been the governments of oh, successive governments in this country have been promising to try and uh, fund uh, mental health services uh, better. And nobody ever really sees any evidence of it. Mm. Um, and they're going to have a real problem once we do eventually get out of all of these restrictions. Um, they're not taking it seriously. I don't think the funding will be there. I think it should be there. 
Um, but why do they not take it so seriously? Well, they keep saying that they do, but they don't. I mean, like the, I got really, really like mad when I was watching one of the press conferences, I guess it would have been a few weeks ago, or maybe like a month ago. And anyway, someone asked uh, a question of, of Boris and it was essentially like, what are you, what are you going to do about like, the mental health problems, especially for young people who, who are a generation that have already got like a, like severely elevated uh, levels of, of like, yeah, mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety, things like that. And, and his response was that, okay, we're going to bring in a mental health officer or spokesperson to stand here with me in the press conferences. And I was just like, like, fuck you, man. Like, seriously, yeah. like, like the, the, the fact that you think that that is an appropriate response, like the fact that you're like, well, you know, there's that kid that's sitting at home, 17 years old, suicidal, or that 21-year-old who, you know, dropped out of uni because they couldn't see anyone and they're, you know, in a, in a hole of depression. And, and But I am sure that they will be just enamored over the moon. They will be jumping for joy that, that you have provided a mental health officer at your press conferences. Thank you. Thank you, Boris. Like... <laughs> Not like it, well, words fail you, don't they? I mean, yeah. I mean, words do genuinely fail you. Um, it's like when Boris says that I understand this, and he, he says this, he doesn't say, um, he doesn't, he doesn't try to say, well, it must be difficult if you're homeschooling or whatever. He said, I understand the difficulty parents are going through. And I think I just shouted at the television, no, you bloody well don't, Boris. You don't have a clue. You haven't raised your children, particularly. It's been your wife or your girlfriends or whoever many children he's got. Um, but you know. It hasn't been you that's been been raising your children all over these years. You haven't got, you haven't never had to homeschool a, a, a child. You actually don't have a damn clue what it's like for people, uh, and it's the same with the mental health. It doesn't have a clue. Um, and you're right. I mean, putting a mental health officer in. I mean, the, the next press conference. Well, obviously that will just wave that magic wand, as you said. I mean, it'll it'll just solve all the problems for everybody. I mean, it's it's it's. How would how would uh, Boris describe it? Uh, a pyramid of piffle. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting quite sick of his, his metaphors. It's like you know, this is another arrow in our quiver to fight COVID. And just go, oh, who is writing this trash? Like <laughs> him? Believe me, he doesn't get a speechwriter to do yeah, that. That's, he writes it. That's a really fair point. It is probably him. Like that's one of the things that that like set him apart from from politicians. I remember Tim Shipman actually writing about that. I think it was in in fallout um i can see very nicely behind me at the camera <laughs> but why do you think that the because the response when i've seen i've seen a lot of people bring up the this kind of this kind of argument um from uh so charles walker who i sincerely wish uh, we had as as prime minister i never thought i would wish for a tory as prime minister there you go that's something that the pandemic has brought me um and the or for example we've had i don't know if you're familiar with sammy wilson um he's a northern irish uh, mp who is uh, i know sammy yeah um, i know sammy famous famous for being a big supporter of science and uh <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a he's a climate denier who believes the world is six thousand years old. And um, but anyway, he has made the argument about the, the about mental health and about problems for the economy once things open up again. Like we we haven't really seen the damage that that the the economic crash has has caused. Um, and, and we're essentially we're we're causing all this damage um, and not not taking it into account. And often the argument is that oh. These people don't care. They they're just saying that we should be worried about mental health because it like backs up their agenda. And what are, what have you heard people making this argument? And what what have you made of it? Well, I'm mean, go back to Sammy. I mean, Sammy is an economist. He was a former economics lecturer, I believe. I, I do it was at a university or to further education college. I mean, Sammy knows what he's talking about when he, when it comes to to economics. And I have been impressed with him speaking speaking of for mental health. Um, as you said, Sir Charles Walker has been has been absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, some of his speeches have been you know so passionate. You can tell that he really, really cares uh, about the issue. And now I've gone and forgotten what your question was. So could you ask me it again? Hi, what is what are your thoughts on on this this response? That's like, oh, you don't care. 
you know, you just you just want to make this point because it backs up your agenda. Like, where were you when, you know, when we were saying about mental health 18 months ago? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think they, they want to be seen. I mean, many politicians want to be seen to be caring about this. But, you know, the House of Commons regularly has debates and they have it in Westminster Hall as well on mental health issues. And I think you can sort of work out who's just sort of contributing to the debate because they, they want to see um, themselves doing it, you know, for their constituents, you know, so the constituents can actually see them speaking out. And you can see that those who actually have struggled over the years are all those who are just passionately interested in the subject. I can usually work out when someone's faking it and when someone's someone's genuine. Mm. But but of course there are you know, some people who jump on any bandwagon going, don't they, to uh, try and keep themselves in the in the media spotlight and to and to keep their seats. Mm. So you say you can tell who's faking it and who's genuine, right? What about let me go through a few what about oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay what about reese mogg is he faking it or is he genuine i think um i i don't know jacob very well but i've you know i've had many a conversation with him over the years um uh, jacob is a genuine guy um you know you like him or not um i don't agree with him on, on everything um but i think jacob is a, a very sincere man Uh, And when he says something in public, he tends to say it in private as well. So I I don't see any duplicitous nature there, put it that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's probably going to trouble a a little bit with with some of the gaffes, you know, because he's sometimes a little bit a little bit too honest uh, for for a politician. Mm. What about Matt Hancock? Matt Hancock, I I don't know what to make of Matt Hancock. Um, I mean, he's a little sort of uh, Duracell bunny, isn't he? You know, that was his uh, sort of little nickname um all of that crying on the tv well it could be a bit of relief that he's you know something's going well for him i don't i don't i don't <laughs> honestly know because let's let's be honest until the vaccine were like yeah, it, it wasn't exactly going particularly well for matt hancock was it no no it wasn't i mean i i, I immediately put him in for the oscar nomination after seeing that little performance <laughs> i, f- I f- <laughs> <laughs> or would it be a BAFTA since it's on TV? Um, oh, it would. Yes, it would have to be a BAFTA. Yes, mm-hmm. or, or um, what do they have in there? They have Golden Globes and Emmys, don't they, in America? So. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so your your organisation is is talking is is coming from a, what you describe as like a classically liberal standpoint, and yeah. um, I feel like the word liberal has kind of been not co-opted or it's at least been sort of, I think, misdefined for a few years there where, mm. um, you know, during the Brexit debate uh, and whatnot, we heard a lot of talk about like the liberal elite, um, which tended to mean people on the left, but like traditionally liberals were not like of left or right persuasion, roughly. That right. There were more. Yeah, no, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, you know, classical liberal would be sort of founding father of the United States type type of liberal who who, who believed that, uh, and there's a lot of hypocrisy there as well. So you know, all men are created equal, and all this sort of stuff, which of course obviously wasn't true because of slavery. So let, let, let's part that one because I could totally agree with that. But 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 the idea that 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 uh, a man or a woman was free to go about their business, do anything that they wanted to do, as long as it did not impinge on the freedom of others. Which is the whole point of having laws and why we believe in the in, in the rule of law. Uh, very much a sort of Gladstonian liberal. Um, I, I would describe myself as. I think I think Gladstone really was the last true liberal um, in in this country. Really, uh, the Liberal Party then went through all sorts of issues, didn't it, with Asquith and Lord George, and just splintered and uh, and you know came back into government again during the coalition, and then sort of got destroyed again, basically. Um, uh, Margaret Thatcher w- w- was was a, was a classical liberal. Uh, not everybody would agree with her policies, but but her, her, her guiding a guiding ethos was basically that um, people are, uh, are better or can make better decisions about their own lives than the government can, uh, and that's pretty much what 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 was I believe. Yeah, I mean, so, so why do you think the the term kind of lost its meaning there for for a few years at least um and do you think that that distinction is now coming back as a result of of covid and the the kind of reaction to the lockdowns and and mask mandates and whatnot uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say i mean uh, as i said in the it, certainly in the uk or at, um, great britain as it would have been then i mean 
with um, with Gladstone, um, as I said, he was probably the last true liberal. After that, the Liberal Party wasn't really all was was getting much more statist, shall we say, uh, and to, to get to the point where there wasn't much of a differentiation between the Liberal Party and the Labour Party. Uh, policies were pretty much drifting sort of leftwards. Um, so I think you can certainly see that in the UK. In America, I'm not quite sure what the origins of liberal are in America, to be perfectly honest, because it's certainly thrown around as an insult by conservatives. Um, so and conservatives with a small c, of course, not the conservative party. Um, and we do talk about the sort of the metropolitan liberal left, don't we? Um, so yes, when I describe myself as uh, as a proper liberal, as I say, a classical liberal, proper liberal, sometimes it needs some explaining because people don't quite understand what that is. I mean, it's 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 probably where I I now find myself, and it's never really a distinction I'd considered to make. Um, I would have been considered by quite a few people to be like quite far left in a lot of my thoughts on um, like I disagree. <laughs> but uh, like this year or last year, especially, I found myself like suddenly in this in this weird camp where I don't associate with like the modern left who would have be considered like the liberals. Like, as you pointed out, the word has been used as, as an insult by conservatives like Ben Shapiro has his um, leftist tears or liberal tears like tumblers and T-shirts, um, you know, and there's like a whole genre of memes about about liberal tears. Uh, based around Trump and Brexit, um, that that do uh, make me laugh. But like, w- where do you think this like distinction like comes? Like, do you, do you think that that there will be some sort of like split now, where there is like a new party or or like a new faction of of like classical liberals like spring up, or 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 someone like yourselves, or say like the Libertarian Party, or or something, or or Lawrence Fox's, um, I think it's Reclaim. Reclaim, uh, yes. Yeah. Like, do, do you think that one of these parties is going to get traction? Because it seems to me that, that, that both of our major parties right now are are kind of selling out their values. Like, the, uh, like the Conservatives are the ones implementing, like, this really hard, you know, yeah, clamp down on our personal freedoms, like a thing that, you could, I could never have imagined people like Jacob Rees-Mogg or, or Steve Baker or any of the, the ERG going along with. And then at the same time, you've got Keir Starmer just like, like doing his very utmost to ignore every single promise he made about how he was going to run the Labour Party um, when he was running to be its leader. Um, like the, the concern, like saying, we're not going to raise corporation tax. And then Rishi Sunak comes along and goes, ha ha, we've got you here and decides to raise corporation tax. Like, like, mm. I feel like both are betraying their bases. And normally yeah. what would happen then is you'd see something else spring up. But I'm I'm not convinced or I don't see exactly who that might be. Like, like what do you think? Well, I think this is, I'm going to apologise in advance because this could be a long answer. At the end of it, I may not even have an answer for you because it's, it's, <laughs> it, because it's, 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 it's a difficult one. But let's go through all, all those sort of elements. Hmm. For starters, we've got the first-past-the-post system. Um, and both main parties are committed to first-past-the-post, so nothing is going to change. And whilst we've got that, it's ultimately going to mean that uh, either Labour or the Conservatives are going to form a government. It could be a coalition government, but... It's, you're either going to have a Labour Prime Minister or you're going to have a Conservative Prime Minister. So all these new parties that are coming are coming out are, are going to, just going to crash and burn, as they always have done. The only exception to that, of course, was UKIP, and UKIP could do that through the European Parliament and get and get plenty of people elected, and that's what and, and that's where UKIP's successful, but we don't have that anymore. So it's going to be difficult for these new parties. Um, so, so what you end up doing is you end up aligning with a particular a part. I align with the Conservative Party because, in general, most of its principles are what I and views I, I agree with. Although there's lots that I completely disagree with. Um, therefore, we we try and push um, much more classically liberal views along because we don't have much of a chance of the Labour Party. Um, there are some there are some actually in the Labour Party, and I do know them, but they're very very much in the minority. So it tends to be the Conservative Party that you that you would work with more. Uh, and you try to nudge them in that particular direction. I mean, that's what pressure groups do. Um, you, you, the, one, the one rule in politics is that you can't go from A to B like that and change it. 
there are there are lots of different stages along, and you just try to nudge it in that particular direction. Um, so that's 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 where we are there. As for the the, the, the main parties, well, I remember doing a podcast about a year ago, I would think. Uh, it was just before Keir Starmer was announced as leader of the Labour Party. And I, I was doing it with, uh, with, with a, a, a Labour Party member. And I said, if the Labour Party elects basically um, a London metropolitan type leader, it will be the biggest mistake because mm-hmm. they will not really have any traction with what was traditionally the, the sort of working class base in, in the Midlands and the north of England. And it's proving true. I mean, Keir Starmer doesn't really have any cut through at all. Um, people, people in, in, in parts of the North and, and, the, and the Midlands tend to be very socially conservative people. Uh, and also people who know their own minds and want to make their own decisions. And yet you, you'll hear sort of Starmer maybe talk about transgender issue or the focus on or all these top things that are on the periphery. I'm not saying that the, these issues shouldn't be discussed and debated because, of course, they should. But you know, when you're in, when you're enduring all these restrictions and people are losing their jobs and perhaps you know may may lose their homes and things like that, you know they want to hear about those issues first and foremost, and the rest can take a back seat and, and until those issues are addressed. So I think Labour is completely failing um, uh, its its traditional voters with, with, without a doubt. As for the Conservative Party, well, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Who'd have thought? I mean, why did Rishi Sunak announce that in two years' time we're going to increase corporation tax and then try to pretend, you know, when we're still going to be the lowest in the G7 and all the rest of it, or the Republic of Ireland, at what, 12.5%? You know, I, I know if I, if I was an international uh, business, I was looking to, to relocate uh, and I was looking at the rates of corporation tax, then I'd be thinking about relocating to uh, somewhere near Dublin, maybe then, rather than somewhere near London. Um, and and also, it, it's just, how do I phrase this? Boris Johnson in particular has fallen into the trap of trying to argue using the, the Labour Party and the left's turf. I'm, I'm, I'm explaining this very badly. But he's, he's basically not saying, well, we're different. He's, he's, he's trying to say, oh, well, if we move a little bit further to the left um, and, and we try to park our tanks on, on Labour's lawn, then we maybe mop up some votes like that. Uh, I, 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 he tries to pretend that he's a libertarian, but I, I see precious little evidence of that. And I see precious little evidence of him personally really being much of a conservative. Um, I mean, what, does, what is Johnsonism? I don't know. I don't think he knows from one day to the next. So I do think that both parties are, are, are failing their bases. Um, and but will that change? Probably not, because the voting system isn't going to change, and we just have to keep putting pressure on the parties to uh, to change. And that always takes a long time. And then you tend to push them in that particular direction, and then guess what happens? A new leadership comes along. <laughs> And it puts you back, and then you've got to start all over again. That has happened quite a lot over the years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, the, w- one thing I do want to say, actually, about the corporation tax thing is, like, I think that the rate of corporation tax is essentially meaningless, whilst we have so many tax loopholes. Like, if mm-hmm. if we, we left corporation tax where it is and just closed all tax havens or made it very difficult to do it, you know, hired some more people for HMRC, then uh, we wouldn't have to worry about corporation tax because we would get more tax revenue based on you know the people who aren't paying their fair share at the minute instead of punishing the people who are now obeying the rules. The um, fair share, though, Josh. You, you said that. I mean, I, I, many people have said this to me. You know, richer people, corporations should be paying the, uh, the, their fair share of tax. I ask them what that fair share is, and no one can actually sort of say what it is. Okay, I mean that's that's a fair point. Um, but I still feel that like we the, the rate that we have now, right, is the one that we as a democratic body or country have agreed that that's what we want it to be right now, vaguely. OK, I know obviously it's not directly how it happens, but like so we have elected a government who has made that the rate and, and no one has protested to the point where that government has fallen apart. So that's the rate that like 
our democracy has decided should be the, the, the rate paid. So I just I, I'm not a huge fan of anyone then using the the, the, the web of, of um, offshore like uh, incorporated territories and, and tax havens and whatnot to avoid paying tax that say a small business would have to pay i don't believe mm-hmm. that that you should that the the difference should be based on um how good your accountant is i think it should like you know you, you could you could make the case and say okay we can close all of these loopholes but then make sure that that people pay an even lower rate of tax and i would i would be i would be much happier to see that than than have the discrepancy based on you know yeah you know, like i said how, how good your accountant is well, it's it's not so much how good your accountant is, how good your lawyer is, um, because I mean, you know, it, it's it's it, it, it boils down to that, and of course, I mean, you know, um, small businesses can't can't employ these sort of people; uh, they, they they end up just having to pay. I totally agree, but also I'm reminded of um, of what I would regard as a truth. I mean, some people may not, but I regard as the truth is that businesses cannot pay tax; only people can pay tax. You know, I mean, the more tax a corporation pays, for example, the, the smaller the dividend it will be to um, to investors. It may mean that it doesn't have as much money to invest, which will then create jobs. It means that wages may be lower as a, as a result of it. You know, I mean, I mean, I hate crony capitalism. I really do. This sort of corporatism, it, it, it's, it, it, it's vile and it's, it's not what I believe in. And I think there are some of us um, on the right of British politics who really should be shouting about that a lot more. Because, because it's simply not fair. Nor do I want to see workers exploited. I, I do believe, you know, that, that highly skilled workforce should be should, should be paid um, a, a decent wage. But nor do I believe in minimum wages because I, I, I think that tends to drive down wages in general. Um, you, you know, you, it raises it for those at the bottom. But then businesses are paying so much for those people at the bottom that they can't afford to pay higher wages to, to much higher wages to really skilled people. Um, but, I mean... The lower the rate of corporation tax has been proved, that the greater the receipts. I, I mean, you know, I think France has got a corporation tax rate of something like 33%, and it brings in hardly anything, whereas our rate is at 19% and brings in much more. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the figures are for the Republic of Ireland, but I imagine they're doing pretty well out of it. Um, so I mean, they, you know, they, you know, they have I, some seriously, seriously, seriously fucked up like levels of, of arrangements. Like Facebook were paying... I think less than one percent at one point. Oh, were they? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I the, the Republic of Ireland is not a good example. <laughs> well, I think the UK is a good example. I think mm. the UK is a good example of nineteen percent bringing in much. Every time it went down, it brought in uh, greater revenue. Mm. And isn't that what you want out of a tax? Um, you want you want to hit the sweet spot where where people feel that it's it's worth paying. It's it's a, it's a reasonable tax and it brings in more revenue. That's that's what you want. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm hoping because the Chancellor has announced this two years in advance that he's, that he's, that he's not going to uh, raise it. And of course, the reason why there wasn't a big Tory backbench rebellion is because they know it's two years down the track and there might be something that they can do about it. So you think it's a bit of a, a PR play to kind of one up Keir Starmer, who just refused to say he would raise it, despite the cause of the It base. could be. It, 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 to me, it seemed a silly decision. If you're going to raise corporation tax, do you do it all in one go? No. I mean, you just don't, do you? Uh, I, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a 6% increase. I know what that as a percentage of the percentage is, but that's what? It's going up by about, by about 30%? 6%. Six pence? Yeah, something like no. that. Yeah, about a third. About a third. Mm. Yeah, just under a third. That's, that's one hell of a hike, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think I'm, even, I'm even Labour's plans were, were to, to do it incrementally, as far as I was aware. Yes, it was. I heard John McDonald being interviewed about this last week. And he said, yes, we said we would increase it, but we were going to do it by a couple of percentage points on, on a, gradual, a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure whether that's going to happen. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll think about the, the situation on corporations probably in about 18 months' time, because that's when we really, really need to start thinking about it. So you mentioned that you don't think Boris has a, a real ideology or that, like, you know, that he kind of comes, he marketed himself as like, potentially, I think maybe it's like a classical liberal when he was mayor of London. Um, and then when he was trying to run for sort of for leader of the Conservative Party, he was kind of um, portraying a much more libertarian sort of conservative, like traditional conservative, like standpoint. But like, where do you think this 
um, administration is going to go once we get. So let's hope that we don't get the vaccine passports and we end up um, with uh, some of our freedom back fairly soon. Um, like what is what are we going to see like from from this government, do you think, moving forward in terms of like, the, you know, to build back better and, uh, you know, all those other meaningless phrases? Borrowed from Joe Biden as well, by the way. Yeah. Biden came up with Build Back Better before Boris did. I think uh, it was from big... the World Economic Forum or the Rand Corporation. I cannot remember who it is, but it's it's like an old it's like an older phrase. Um, and right. so is the Great Reset. And they were told like anyone using them, those phrases like eight nine months ago was uh, like being shadow banned. Um, told there are conspiracy theorists and then all of the leaders of the world started to come out and say this exact phrase it was so weird mm-hmm. uh, Boris is a big state conservative he loves his spending doesn't he he loves these big infrastructure projects um, that's, that's where Boris is, is going I mean by the time HS2 is built I'm quite sure I'll still be alive the way, the way things are going I mean, I mean um, I totally oppose HS2 I just don't see the point of it I really don't. We're, we're, we're moving into a world where more people, more people are doing things online, especially after this, you know, pandemic. And you know, people will gradually go back to their offices, and I'm sure. But there'll be plenty of people who won't, or people who just go back to their offices for um, two or three days a week, or whatever it is. And I just don't see the point of HS2. I think we actually want to encourage people to travel a little bit less for business. Fine for leisure. That's great. You know, that's we all need our holidays. We all want our time away. We all want to visit our family and friends and things like that. But for business, is it really necessary? And let's be honest, HS2, the only way that's going to pay is if business people travel a lot um, and they go into their, in, in, into, into their first class seats, paying an exorbitant amount of money. Um, but Boris is promising everything, of course, to his, uh, to his backbench and peace, particularly in the North and the Midlands, because they've promised so much to their constituents to get themselves elected. Um, and we, we hear it all the time, don't we? You, you know, we need a new bypass here, for example. Um, you know, the hospital needs to be, a new hospital needs to be built there, or, we, or, or there needs to be a major upgrade of this hospital there. And, 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 and this, is, this is what Boris is going to do. For the, up until well, twenty, I would imagine that the next general election will be spring twenty twenty four, unless uh, unless he springs a surprise and doesn't goes earlier. But he's certainly not going to go for another December election again, is he? I mean, I mean, no, no one wants that. So he's basically got just about another three years, uh, and uh, he'll spend a lot of money. Um, and if if that money is seemed to be spent well in those particularly sort of new red well red wall or blue wall if you want to call them constituencies, then the party is likely to get elected. Uh, and I go back to what I say about Keir Starmer; he, he just doesn't have any cut through in in, in, in the north. Um, Labour's lost Scotland. I mean, there's not they haven't got a can health chance of, of getting all those seats back in Scotland. Uh, and Labour always relied on Scotland, you know, to to, to really build up its majority, or sometimes just to get elected. Um, if you look at, if you go back to the sort of 19, 1970s, the 60s and 70s, and been for Scotland, there wouldn't have been a Labour government. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's very difficult to predict the future, especially, um, I mean, if you told me uh, at the beginning of um, what, last year, 2020, you know, that uh, there would be a lockdown for a year just about and all our freedoms would be taken away. Um, well, I wouldn't have believed you, but it happened, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, twenty uh, like, and and everyone thought uh, twenty twenty one was going to be a nicer ride. Um, and uh, I was getting a lot of hate for people being like, "You do realize this doesn't get better? Like, you, you do realize that this next year is going to be, but like as crazy, if not crazier. Like, uh, we seem to have this like just exponential level of 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 madness that that continues to build." Um, with everything, I, I, the world seems to get crazier and crazier and crazier at the minute, and uh, I find it hard to envision that slowing down. Like I can't see things getting calm again. Too many people are are like in that like war mindset. The country is too polarized. The media love the conflict too much, and 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 the the kind of like constructed culture war that we're going through is. It, like pe- people are ready for this sort of like battle mentality that seems to produce all this madness and i don't see it going away anytime soon but um yeah well there's there's one thing to think about that i mean the, the coronavirus app needs to be renewed this month 
and it's going to get renewed uh, for another six months. Mm. Um, by the time we come to the end of September, yeah, I'm sure you remember when you're when you're at school. You know, you go went back to school in September. About three or four weeks later, if that, everyone was coughing and spluttering because all the viruses were starting to go around and all the rest of that. And I can see it being extended again uh, up until March next year. It's something I'm fighting against. I'm working with some MPs to fight against that. But when you have the majority of the Conservative Party just backing the government on this, and then you've got the opposition not being an opposition at all, then, you know, people say, well, why don't you do more? Well, I, 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 I can't win. It's as simple as that. I, I, I cannot win because there's a huge majority of hundreds in the House of Commons uh, in favour of, of, of continuing with, with, with restrictions. Uh, you've got a country absolutely terrified. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, I think it was probably last August, actually, um, when we had the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. Um, and my wife and I took our, our, our four-year-old son uh, to a pub a few, few miles away for, for, for something to eat. Uh, and we were trying to leave, and he was sort of typical four-year-old, you know, sort of like not wanting to move and all the rest of it. And we said, come and finish your drink, and, uh, and then we're going. So he had about half a, a glass of, of juice cordial left. And he drank it a little bit too quickly. So as he put the glass down, he started to cough. And there was a, a woman who I'd say probably in her 70s, who was a good sort of four, three or four metres away from us, went like that, as if he was an angel of death about to kill her. And all he'd done is go, he's drunk down just a, a little bit too fast. And people are genuinely terrified. I mean, you, you, you've probably seen people driving around in their own car by themselves with a face mask on. I mean, what, what the hell are they worried about? You know, um, you see people in the middle of nowhere with a face mask on. Um, people are genuinely frightened. Now, how do you unfrighten a nation? That's the question. I mean, we still we still got these adverts coming through, um, particularly on the radio that, that I hear, where, you know, if... if if you have a, a tradesman coming to your house, maybe an emergency plumber, do you always open the window? You know, that sort of thing. Um, can you look a nurse in the eye? You know, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, this is all terrifying stuff. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I have maybe slightly jokingly said that Goebbels would be proud of this propaganda because it has really, really been very, very good. And the government apparently is going to change tack because they're going to stop using this, uh, you know, save lives, protect the NHS sort of stuff. They're going to stop using that next month. And then they're going to start to encourage people to come back to normal. Well, how do you encourage people to come back to normal when just a few days before it wasn't normal and you had to stay home to protect the NHS and save lives? Now, it's, it's, it's not just the laws. I mean, you can, you can open up the economy. You can open, you know, you allow people to go to the pub, the restaurants. You can allow them to go to visit museums, zoos, basically go to the beach, lead their lives as, as much as they want to. But will they? I mean, how many people will still stay in that terrified mode, thinking, well, there's a problem with the vaccine, maybe, or maybe I, oh, I'm only percent protected by 90%. Well, there's a 10% chance I could get it. Mm. You know, there, there, there are people who will think like that. I mean, I've come across lots of examples reading in the newspapers um, about there was one couple who got their Sunday paper delivered. So it went through their letterbox and they literally left it there until the Wednesday just in case it had you know, COVID on it, you know? And we can say, well, that is mad, but this is how it's affecting people. Mm. Uh, I would say that that's actually probably a mental health problem, but it's going, it's an undiagnosed mental health problem. It takes us back earlier in, in, in the conversation. So it, it really worries me. I mean, getting back to normal, I just don't see it happening anytime soon, irrespective of, of, of the laws changing and restrictions being, being lifted. You could be right. I mean, I definitely think that, I mean, I don't know how in depth the public inquiry will be, or how how you know in depth or how toothless it will be. Um, but I guess the thing that like that's kind of confused me about the the last yeah year or so is the is the, re the like the media have really loved this like fear, and mm -hmm. and everyone. Like I've spoken to a few people about this and a couple of people have told me I'm being a bit crazy about how much power I think the media have. But I think everyone underestimates how how much, even still, like we may we may be sort of like the mainstream press might be kind of losing their, their edge. But 
Like they're still the ones that set the national mood or sort of like like base the national conversation. And and they they've they've just they've drummed the fear like so hard. And it I think I think you're probably right. Like it it, it may take a while to to get people to kind of come out of their shell again. I mean, like the thing that I, I find is that if you can try and get people to confront the thing that they're scared of, I find this as well, that um it becomes less scary. Like it's a thing that Tim Ferriss is very big on. He's like a, I, don't, I wouldn't call him a life coach, but like a, he, he writes loads of books about how to do things. And he's like, look, if you are terrified or, you know, before you do anything, it's like literally write down your worst fears, right? And work out, first of all, how that might is probably very unlikely and B, what would be the reaction if that actually happened? Um, and And I think that we have to, I don't know if if we confront it, then then maybe it'll be fine. Because like you see videos from Texas and Mississippi and and whatnot rolling in now, they've opened up and the bars are full and restaurants are full, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, how do I get a green card? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all thought that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I called my mate in America, and I was like, Richie, you, I need I need to marry an American, and he was like, man, I'm already taken. You know, there's a lot of nice, there's a lot of nice women lining up, like wanting a green card. Like, what have you got to offer? And I was like, oh, no, I can't, I can't compete with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Chris Whitty came out, didn't he, saying, you know, there could be up to 30,000 deaths from COVID over the summer. You see, this, I mean, I mean, I mean, this is, this is just the project fear again. I mean, this is, this is what I'm, this is why I'm emphasizing it. I mean, you could well be right. You know, people could just make some rational decisions. I will certainly make rational decisions. I'm certainly, I, I want to enjoy the summer. I really do. I mean, come on, it's been a miserable winter. I mean, it's been miserable full stop, to be perfectly honest, weather-wise. It's always dark and horrible, isn't it? You know, I mean, I hate it. I hate the winter. I just, I always look forward to the end of March. Clocks go forward. You know, things, things, things are looking better. But, but you've got the government attempting to sort of reopen up the country and you've got the chief medical officer saying, oh, 30,000 people could die. Um, it, it's it, it's it's mixed messaging to say the least, um, and this is this this is just what really worries me um, that that we terrified the no the government has terrified the nation so much that to try and unravel all of that is just going to be extremely difficult. And of course, that will have economic consequences because because if if people you know. I don't know if um, the people who were, who used to go out and, and have a meal on maybe semi-regular basis once a week, maybe or something like that, uh, go to the pub a couple of times a week. Um, if just you know, 20, 30 percent of those people don't bother doing it, then that's going to have an economic impact on the hospitality sector in, in particular. And how many people now have just got used to doing everything online? All the shop, I mean, it was always moving in that direction anyway. I've always felt that high streets have to change, but, but it, it's, it, it's accelerated that process, hasn't it? And there's going to be more high street closures and things like that. So I, I, I think life has changed. Um, I would very much like the old normal to return. I was quite happy with the old normal. It worked very, very well for me. But I've got a feeling that the new normal maybe is not going to be quite as bad as we fear it's going to be. But I don't think it's quite going to be the old normal for, for, for those sort of reasons. Well, that's uh, that'll be a nice note to leave things on. Um, Andrew, thanks very much. It's been it's been a really interesting chat. Is there anything you want to plug here before we finish? Um, well, we we do have actually have uh, Freedom Association as a webinar on Tuesday, the twenty third of March at six pm, uh, and we're looking actually at the British Union. Um, so um, I'm on the panel representing England. I've got uh, Kate Hui on. Uh, I've got David Jones, the former Welsh Secretary. And Brian Monteith, uh, former member of the Scottish Parliament and uh, was a Brexit Party MEP as well. Um, they're, they're on the panel. Um, it's it's a Zoom link, so you know you know I, I can't spell that one out because I can't remember it. <laughs> but if you if you certainly if you go onto the Freedom Association's uh, t- Twitter page, and that's at TFA four, uh, that's the number four Freedom. Uh, you'll see that pinned at the top there. If you go on our website, you'll see you'll see links to it. Um, and you know if anybody would like to actually join that irrespective whether you think the union's a great thing whether you don't think it's a great thing the idea is just have a debate and if you want you know people want to ask questions then they can and uh and it's all about free speech isn't it mm. 
Well, that sounds good. This will be out on the, the 21st, I think. So that's perfect. 23rd. Oh, sorry. This is going on the 21st. Right. Sorry, I'm with you now. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. right. <laughs> so, so that's perfect. In two days from when this is being released, you can uh, go check out the Freedom Association free speech debate online um i'll stick the link in the description below so uh yeah andrew thanks very much man it's 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 been a pleasure thank you thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe follow me on twitter or sign up to our mailing list thanks a lot to our sponsor expressvpn the number one most trusted vpn get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries keep your browsing privacy safe with expressvpn and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.